Worm Hockey Podcast is back with you, episode 52 this week. We are um, discussing coaches, NHL coaches, um, kind of going through, I think, all 31 coaches and uh, discussing the pros and cons, the good and the bad of it all. Yeah. Um, before anything, I say this at the end of episodes, but I'll say it now. Before anything, make sure you head to Apple Pod, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, make sure you subscribe, you rate, and you rev- you review, you share with with friends and anyone you know. You help, uh, you continue to help uh, this show grow, which we uh, uh, greatly appreciate. Um, head to the necessary social media platforms: um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, the website, and you follow and uh, like and um, engage with us. Um, War Room Hockey Podcast at War Room Hockey Podcast at War Hockey and warroomhockey.com, all respectively. Um, basically, a call to action there for you. Uh, but this week, episode 52 of War Room the Hockey Podcast, we are discussing coaches. Coaches don't get the uh, get the time off. I mean, I know they're locked up at home, but you know, everybody is uh, everybody's sitting around killing time like all the rest of us, and uh, they're doing it by looking at their rosters, looking at who's getting healthy, speculating when we'll be back. You know, no, everything else is on hold, but the the thought processes never stop. So you know they're you know the guys are sitting at home just grinding away on the details and, uh, and just eager to uh, eager to get back at it and, and put things into motion. It's a outside of the outside of the freeze right now uh, where we find everybody. It's just a this is a really this is the most transitional time I've ever seen in the game. As far as especially as far as the coaches are concerned. Game got younger. The coaches have gotten younger. The salaries have exploded in the last generation. So now you not only have to figure out how to coach, you got to figure out how to reach a kid who's 20 or 21 years old, make just signed a 40 or $50 million deal. And the old way does not generally work anymore. Right? Well, coaches are also one of those things where, um, it's kind of bad, no matter the sport to have one coach, throughout the history of an organization. They tend to, as, as everybody describes it, they have a shelf life. Because, I mean, I, I draw a comparison to currently, rel, you know, relevantly, you know, Rob Gronkowski retires. Right. Tom Brady goes to Tampa Bay. Gronkowski returns <laughs> under the guy, under the assumption that he's then going to be traded to join Brady in, in Tampa. And it creates the question of not only Brady, right, not staying in New England to finish out his career, right, after yep. six or seven championships and, and all this stuff, but also Gronk being willing to return to football after retiring, right? And it, it and it's nothing against Bill Belichick, but it, it makes you wonder if they weren't willing to change things up coaching staff-wise. So Brady and Gronk decided, well, I need a change. I need a new voice. And so they go somewhere else. It, it creates that question because Belichick, one of the arguably, whether you like the Patriots or not, one of the best, if not the best coach in the NFL. Yep. But you still you still need a new voice in a dressing room every now and then. The message and gets tired, hey? Is that- the message gets the message gets tired, the message gets repeated, the message gets you know, this and all these different things, find your way of explaining it. And right. it creates, we don't know for sure they'll never come out and say it, right? Because Brady and Gronk both have the utmost respect for New England, the organization, and Belichick. But it creates the question of, did they need a new voice? Did they need a change? And Robert Kraft and the organization wasn't willing to part with Belichick. No. So, and that's... You know, they, whether and it's I, a, it, this is a hockey podcast, but I use that as a most relevant example of voices in a dressing room and and how often or when or whatever you might need a change. 
that's a that's a good point. I wouldn't have thought of the of the football comparison because I'm not a football fan and don't claim to be. But the only the only thing I can say regarding that, I first of all, who knows? Only Tom Brady and, and Gronkowski know if it was a change of voice, if it was a change of scenery altogether. What other kind of things went into that decision? Who cares? They've had their championships. They've they've been to the top, made bazillions of dollars. And now maybe they're just out to have a good time. Did you see the the photo of Brady all, you know, usual, buttoned down, everything looking, you know, GQ, and standing next to him was Gronkowski with the sunglasses on and the and the wild suit and everything. I just cracked up when I saw that. And I'm not I'm I may actually watch a football game this year just to see Gronkowski and Brady play. Well, I, I say it because I, I truly believe that it was. I truly I truly believe it's nothing against the organization or Belichick. Obviously, their accolades and things speak for themselves, whether we personally are football guys or not. But I truly believe it, it was. Brady, you know, let's be honest here. Whether he pulls a Brett Favre or not, he's got probably under five years left in his career before he officially fully retires. He's in his early 40s, yeah. eh? Like the, and Gronkow- and his- Gronkowski's elbows and knees will only take so much and yeah. everything like He's- that. So I see it as partly of what you said, and then we'll get back to hockey because this is hockey, but I see it partly from what you said of, of you're at the point in your career where now let's just go play football and have fun. Yeah, but and by all, the way, get paid about thirty million, and bucks. get paid a lot. But I truly believe that a big part of it in that regard was the organization not willing to part with Belichick, because Belichick still gets the job done, correct? And but Brady and Gronk not being done with the game quite yet, but needing needing and wanting a new voice, right? Right. That's, that so, makes sense. So I and, think it's a mixture of both in that regard. But I use it as an example of. How, you know, coaches, no matter how tremendous you might be, Joel Quenville in Chicago, for, for example. Oh, yeah. But that at was... some point, whether it's whether it's because you start to dip and go into a rebuild and start losing a bit or or whatever the case may be, you need a change. And coaches are, while invaluable as they may be, they are also, not to trivialize, but they are a dime a dozen. Because, I mean, you... you and I say a dime a dozen because you'll always find a guy who can step in and help you win hockey games. They're not a dime a dozen. No. Because each each only certain ones have the respect of the of the game the way a, a Trotz or a Quenville or a Bowman or anybody like that might have. So Correct. it but you get my point. Yeah. So what you're seeing though now is the the thing that made brought this to my attention over the last several years, not just several days and weeks, is now you're seeing. And the first time I've seen it was many years ago, Mario Lemieux uh, in Pittsburgh, and and um, there have been through the years there are players who have just simply gotten coaches fired. Don't like the guy. Don't like the message. You go to the GM. You once you jump out of the once you step out of ranks, you 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 better be right because if you go to the GM and whisper in his ear that the coach has completely lost the room, you better be Gretzky or Lemieux or Messier or someone, and you better be right about it. So I've seen that happen, but the most of all the because the league has gotten so much younger and so much wealthier you got to reach these guys a different way. And you, so you've got to have some street cred, which comes with being a guy like Q or Barry Trotz, Rick Tockett, Brindamore, Berube, Cassidy, Travis Green in Vancouver. I mean, there's guys out there that have really got a lot of credibility, but they, but the days of, of taking the whip to the guys are, those days are gone. You're not going to take, Matthews and Eichel and McDavid and guys like that and beat them over the head and bag skate them constantly. Now, if they want to do that themselves to wake the team up, that's up to them. But you're not going to do it for them. Not anymore. Yep. So that's, and, and there's, a, there's basically 
three, I think, three categories of coach in the NHL. Obviously, only one guy wins every year, and you see guys win a win a Jack Adams one year and then get fired the next. Yep. Or like um, Gerard Gallant in Vegas, two fantastic years and a trip to the final, and he got canned. So you never know what's going on. Well, not just but, Vegas. It happened to him in Florida, too. Well, yeah, which was... That, that was ridiculous. And that was an ownership bumble there. That was just a, that was a debacle and poorly, poorly executed. But the, you can't take the whip to them anymore. And you've got to, you've got to be able to reach them because if you can't, it doesn't matter how much, you know, if you can't control the room, you're not getting there. So it's got to be done with a different kind of emphasis and it's got to be done by leadership committee. It's no longer the coach calling every single shot. Yep. It's no longer the captain. There's no Mark Messier's left in the game. It's now you've got to have a nucleus of guys who, as we talked about in the previous telecast uh, broadcast, the guys that either are the example or follow the example. Mm-hmm. And if you're the one who doesn't, then you stand out and you don't want to stand out. So that's the way it's got to go. And, and, at the end of every kind of comment or analysis or anything else, there is one thing and one thing only that coaches have, and that's ice time. Yep. It's all they have. They can't, they can't call you names. They can't berate you. They can't do anything except shorten your ice time. And that's what gets the player's attention because that hits them in the pocketbook. Yep. Play in less, play in le- no power play, play in fewer minutes. Now all of a sudden my value is going to go down can't have that so now you've got to be more cooperative about what do I do to get back in the graces and the coach has to be cooperative with the guys too and you know this from playing that the coach needs to be able to come to you and say Evan what we're doing here is not working like who I need to move some pieces around we got to change up our power play scheme I got to put I got to move some guys with different partners on lines or or defense pair what should we do here and you got to have guys that pay enough attention to the game to help you with that, yep. right? Yep. Well, while we're on the t- on the topic, let's run through all thirty-one, however briefly we need to, or yeah. or in depth, and we'll just make co- a couple comments on on each one, and we'll we'll go from there. Well, tell me what you think about this. I took them into three groups. Okay. There's a, there's a group of guys in the NHL that are beyond reproach. These are guys that are proven. They're winners. They've got the respect of, of the other coaches and the players. They've got the res- full respect and buy-in of their team. There are guys that are in the middle, and we're, we're still wondering what kind of coach are they really going to be at, at some point. Some of them are new, and some of them are older. And then there's... There's a, a there's some guys that just have not proven anything yet, and and these are the guys that are most of them are younger, they are as I said unproven, and we'll wait and see. And it might take a five year body of work before some of these guys reach that level where they now, if when you do get fired and they all will, how fast does the phone ring again? Right. Yep. Yep. No, I agree with that. So. Um, I guess, so I guess we can run through it, and when I name him, you tell me which category you have him f- falling in. Okay. And then we can speak on yeah. him for a, a minute or two and then and move forward. So Tell me what you, and I want to know what you think of these guys because you study them just as much as I do. Yep. Um, so we'll start um, here just at the top alphabetically. We'll go Dallas Eakins, Anaheim. Anaheim Ducks, tw- 1920... Um, 1920 season um, record is 29, 33, and 9. Um, we won't, I don't want to put too much emphasis on the records. Uh, I want to speak about the coach in a more broad, more credible kind of argument than just the team record, but I'll would at least you, mention the record. Would you agree? And I, I, I have an old. I have an old saying. It applies to it applies to the GM and the coach both. It, you are exactly what your record says you are. Now you can't take you can't take Dallas Eakins and shove him into Edmonton a few years ago or into Anaheim right now, 
and indict him for not being successful. He does not have the tools to work with there. So in Agreed. his case, I've got him in the to be determined. Like the jury is going to be out on him for a while. And Anaheim's obviously in a rebuild. Edmonton at the time he was there was a dumpster fire. So I don't know what to make of Dallas Eakins yet. Is he, let's make the prediction then with Dallas Eakins, is he with Anaheim in a bit of a rebuild? Is he the the guy to take them through that rebuild? We'll see because it, you you got to have a certain mentality and you and and Bob Murray has to do a certain amount of expectation management with his fan base and his older players in order to get that done. So he can he can be that guy because he's a younger coach, he's got a younger perspective, but he's got to have the buy-in from Getzlaff and Cam Fowler and Gibson and guys like that. That room has to be rebuildable or he's going to he's a lost cause. Yep. Um Rick Tockett in Arizona top of the game is he one beyond reproach yep he is just he is simply a guy that has proven himself at every level he's proven himself as an assistant and when you see a c-plus lineup in phoenix playing as hard as they play and and they are that is just a tenacious ridiculous team to play against and they're not that on paper they're not that good so rick tockett is top of the game yep no, I agree. Um, not much else to say. He he's got air. It makes you kind of wonder what Rick Taka would be able to do in uh, Colorado or Pittsburgh or somewhere if if he was given if he was given the helm with lineups like that. Right. What and then take the way he has Arizona playing and apply it to that talent and that skill level. What kind of what kind of record? What kind of championships and what kind of organization you'd have? with a guy like Rick Tockett at, at the helm of your team with a with a McDavid, a McKinnon, uh Crosby, a McCarr, I mean or go down the list. Yeah, so absolutely. And and that's a that's a really good point with all these guys because if you don't have having a game breaker is not a guarantee of success. Ask Buffalo. But or the Maple Leafs. But not having one is a virtual guarantee of mediocrity at the very, very best. Yep. And Phoenix, without somebody, without game breakers in that lineup, without that Pasternak, Bergeron, Marchand line, without somebody in that lineup that you just that scares the daylights out of you, like Nathan McKinnon, it's it's tough. It's it's tough playing with four second or third lines. Yep. No, agreed. Um, Bruce Cassidy in Boston. Just a plus ten out of ten. He's he. They play every night the same way. They go in and out of injuries. He loses all stars for weeks at a time, and they never change the way they play. And ever since he took over there for Claude Julian, they have been playing the same way every single night. No question there. Then for Bruce Cassidy is, and this is all speculation because it's it obviously is the way it is. But what what kind of effect do would we see Bruce? Uh, Bruce Cassidy having without a Bergeron, Pasternak, Marchand in in within that organization. If With, that line wasn't there, and he and all and his guys were simply, and there are no slouches, but were simply Charlie Coyle, Charlie McAvoy, Wagner, and these types of guys, would we would Bruce Cassidy still fall in the beyond reproach type of category? without those guys. Now, correct me if you disagree here, but I think he already has. Because I you you can point to the last two and a half years where he has lost McAvoy, Carlo, Chara. He's lost Tory Krug. And these are extended periods of time. These are weeks at a time without these guys. He has lost everybody but Marshand on that top line. And he's gotten the job done with guys like Nola Chari and... Are we speaking? Grizzlick. Are we speaking? Getting the job done in terms of a winning record or in terms of a Stanley Cup? Look at his record, and he's gone. He went to the final one year. He's at the top of the league every single year. I mean, he's just—I I don't know how he does it, but he does it. 
Because and the only reason I ask those questions is because if we're, they, if we're basing it off of that, then there's guys that need to fall in the beyond reproach category, whether they have Stanley Cups or not, for being able to do what they've done with certain lineups. Oh, absolutely. So if we're going to throw Bruce Cassidy in there because he's 44, 14, and 12 in the 1920 season you know, and whatever else in years past with missing significant amount of time without Chara and Bergeron and things, then, and we'll get to them, but then guys like Jared Bednar and, oh yeah, you know, guys like that need to fall in the beyond reproach category for simply what they've done with the lineup. Yep. Positively. And, so, and Bednar is a good example of that. Um, so I just want to make sure no we include doubt. all that. So, um, well, and, and let me make this point too, for all the guys, sorry to interrupt, but with regard to Cassidy, Two of the best leaders in the game are Bergeron and Chara. They they are widely regarded. If you are if you get called up from the AHL for the first night, they treat you as if you were headed for the Hall of Fame. They treat everybody with respect there. They treat everybody the same, whether you're a healthy scratch or whether you're Brad Marchand. You everyone gets treated with the same level of respect there. And it makes Bruce Cassidy's job a little easier when you've got a room that functions like that. And full marks to Bergeron and Chara for being those guys. Absolutely full marks to them. I, I, I admire, I don't want to have to play them every year as a Leaf fan. I don't want to see them in the playoffs every spring, but boy, do I tip my hat to what they're doing. Absolutely for sure. that And, and, you know, Jake DeBrusque carrying a lot of weight there. Like you you mentioned Charlie Coyle, um, Sean Corrali, Chris Wagner. They just play their lights out, and they're irritating as can be. And they, they're missing so many guys off and on over the last two seasons. He gets it done. Anyway. Ralph Kruger in Buffalo. Tough going for Ralph Kruger. Um, I, he is on the best day he is to be determined. I think he's got. I think he's got that team underachieving. Everybody seems to really like him. The players have nothing but good things to say about him. But this is a team between Eichel and Skinner and and Ocpozo and and some of the guys that they've put together there. This is a team that ought to be a whole lot better than they are. I don't. I. I wouldn't buy his stock right now. Not at all. Jeff Ward in Calgary. Same kind of deal. The players seem to like him. I, I would I would have him in the, we don't know. I mean, he's so unproven. He took over in a tough situation uh, when Bill Peters got fired. And he inherited a bad situation, but a pretty good team. I mean, that's a that's a very, very competitive team. And we'll see. They, um, they play, they're playing a much better brand under him. You watch the Western Conference a lot. They play a they play a nice brand. Yep, yeah, they do. Um, Rod Brendamore in Carolina, <laughs> love the guy. Beyond reproach. Yeah, absolutely. It, he wouldn't be unemployed for fifteen minutes if he didn't want to. If anything was to happen to him, um, the way he's put that team on his back that, and it's a very young team, very unproven guys, uh, Aho and and some of the guys that they're relying on every night. Uh, Jordan Stahl is a guy that you, you have to admire as a veteran leader, but boy, he is, Brendan Moore is one of the guys, and here's how I view all these guys and chime in here. You look at a roster like Buffalo and you say, these guys ought to be better. If you're playing below your on paper talent level, you're in trouble. If you're playing above that, like the Coyotes, like Boston, um, and Carolina, the, these are the guys that when you say, well, we got, we got B minus talent and we're at the top of our division though. Then, and Brendan Moore is one of those guys. Nope. I agree. Totally agree. Rick bonus in Dallas players love him. Been around forever. Uh, they, they, they play well. I would, I don't know if I would put Rick bonus in the, I, I'd put him kind of in the middle category because he's not been a head coach a lot, especially in quite a while but players love him for one of the older guys his players like him and uh he's he's one of those guys that's sort of on the bubble right now if they if they 
were to not make the playoffs or flunk out in the first round, the noose would get a little tighter for him. But I think the I think the players will the players will play for him for sure. No, oh, geez, I just skipped a, a couple of them. Uh, Jeremy Carlton in Chicago. He is. He's only about what um, thirty-three years old. Yeah, he's fifteen years removed from being on that World Junior team with Getzlaff and Perry and Crosby and a bunch of guys. He, uh, I didn't, I didn't get it at first, but once he got his footing there, that's a team that's in, you know, it's in some roster trouble in some ways, but what he's done. And I, I look at the, not just how the team performs, which is the biggest barometer, but I look at how some of the guys have performed for him. Um, how Kirby Dak, the Kubalik kid, um, Dylan Strom has kind of revitalized his career. Alex DeBrinket is playing like a madman. Uh, he's got some guys there. Kane and Taves are automatics. Forget that. But he's got some guys there that are playing really, really well. And he's he's doing it with some guys like Slater Cuckoo and Connor Murphy and, and Ollie Matta. He's got, you know, some retreads, and they're playing really well. And as of when play was suspended, are they not within a, you know, winning three out of four or being in the playoffs? Yeah, they're, they're five or six points removed from playoff spot and suspension. And that is not there, there again. I look at this roster and nothing, certainly, I mean, no disrespect to Brandon Saad and Zach Smith and Kajula and, uh, you know, there even um, even some of the new guys uh, that, that aren't seeing a lot of ice time. I have no disrespect to those guys, but wow, I mean, he's playing above, he, punching above your weight class, as the saying goes. So, gotta, I like him. I wouldn't put him in the above reproach category but he's he's somebody that would have to play his way out of his job true tortorella in columbus <laughs> torts has been around forever he's a very polarizing guy his players if he gets the right guys and he's he, torts has to coach the right team so he's got the right team in columbus he's got a he's got a bunch of plumbers there hard working hard nosed defensive oriented guys and they like him he was not well received in vancouver because they didn't have this style of play he had the sedines blocking shots and it didn't work so you know as we talked about a few months ago when daryl sutter took over the la kings years ago it was a big north and south team they only knew one they could only play one style and he had them playing east west he was he was ideal there, but uh, Torts is the same way. And, you know, I, I, there have been things that Torts has done in the past that really irritated me and I would never do. But right now in Columbus, the players seem to like him. I would leave him in that GI, you know, could go either way kind of category with Jeremy Colleton and some of the other guys, because yep. we just don't know. He, he won that cup 15 years ago in Tampa, but, Ever since then, he's been, uh, I don't know how to put it. He's, let's call it polarizing. Every time he takes a microphone, he's, he's an adventure. He'd be, he'd be a moneymaker in, in wrestling. Grab the <laughs> microphone and just go to town. You know who he reminds me of is uh, the Mouth of the South. Jimmy uh, Hart. Jimmy Hart, yeah. Yep. He reminds me of the Mouth of the South. <laughs> Jimmy Hart coming out with the give him bull, a, bull horn and yes. the, give him a cheap suit and a bull horn. Seventies looking haircut and oh, but he just is, look, Jimmy Hart looks sleazy. But we'll just he's say a that pretty greasy guy. But I but for for Tortorella, coaching guys like and here again the nucleus of the leadership on this team, Felino, Boone Jenner, um, you know just these are guys that. Uh, they, they play that style. They get below the hash marks and they beat your brains out. And that's the way Torts does things. Yep. Right place in the right guy in the right combination. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yep. Jared Bednar in Colorado. 
love him. Uh, I, I would consider him at the top of the class. He's one of a handful of guys that are at the top of their game. He did it with a horrible team. He kept his composure. He kept his dignity through that 40-some point year, through the rebuild, and then he had a year of vast overachieving with one line. Now he's got some depth, and they're, they're as good as anybody in the West. So he's proven that he can coach whatever whatever kind of roster you hand him, he knows what to do. And they play fundamentally sound hockey. And that's another thing I look for, not just how hard they play, but the fundamentals of the game. And they are they are so good at that. No, agreed. Agreed. Uh, Jeff Blaschel in Detroit. 17-49-5 this year. And I'm not sitting here... Um, looking down my nose being an avalanche fan and three years removed from a 48 point season for us, but 17, 49 and five in Detroit. And, and here's the deal. The reason I, it sounds like I'm looking down my nose is simply because a 48 point year for Colorado in the middle of a 10 year kind of floundering abysmal session. Mm-hmm. It's, it's embarrassing, but it's but it fits and it falls into where Colorado was at that time. Detroit is what? What are they? Three seasons removed from the epicness of twenty five years in a row into the playoffs yeah. and Stanley Cup contenders and things like that, and only three or four years removed from that type of legacy. Three or four years for another team might be enough for a turnover and a change but for a a legacy like Detroit had that's a big big fall to all of a sudden now be 1749 and 5 in the 1920 season and unless something drastic changes in in the offseason they've got a number of years to climb again so I agree yeah I totally agree and as far as evaluating Jeff Blaschel I'd say on one hand who knows because that is such a depleted roster. I mean, Babcock saw the handwriting on the wall there five years ago. But at the same time, that they are just so overmatched every night. The fact that they even have 17 wins is a minor miracle. I mean, he's getting more mileage out of guys like Tyler Bertuzzi and guys like that than than anybody could imagine. So The credit I'll give Blasio is knows? that he's... Is that even at seventeen forty nine and five, he's got he's got that team the same way Bednar did in Colorado during the forty eight point year. He's got that team competing to a point where when they lose, you can't look at the score and say, "Wow, they lost." When they same way with Colorado in that forty eight point year, when they lose, you look at the score and go, "Wow, they lost three two in overtime." Right. They lost in overtime. They're they're losing two to one in the dying minutes of the third. They're, so it it kind of like Bednar in that forty eight point year. Blashell's got them competing till the last buzzer. Yep, that's exactly and, right. And everything. So at least in that regard, and and not only that, but they're they're clearly wanting to compete for him because they're showing that on the ice. I was just going to say that it's it's one thing to have that nucleus of leadership that's got pride and that drags everybody in that room into the fight with them. But if you don't have that coming down from the top, from Steve Eiserman and Blaschel, it's not fun. The, when the mojo goes bad and the emotion goes out of that room and goes out of the leadership committee, it shows on the ice and it's not there. So I would say he's in a, he's in a very, very, unwinnable situation but i certainly wouldn't blame any of this on him yep no agreed uh let's keep things moving a little bit yep. we'll name it we'll name a few here and then we'll, we'll um we'll carry on about them if there's something to be said otherwise yep. we'll mention their category and we'll, we'll just move forward okay uh dave tippett in edmonton love him top of the game um he's again guy responsible for having that team playing as well as they are Absolutely seattle missed out if seattle was ready a year or two earlier He's the coach in, in Seattle. Probably so. Um, so they missed out there. Joel Quenville in Florida. Uh, he's the top of the game. Absolutely. at the He's at the pinnacle and has been for, what, 20 years? 
Like, who's who's better? Look at his record. Look what he does. Yeah, top of the game. And nobody naps better on couches in the, in the <laughs> coaches room. Um, Todd McClellan in L.A. Boy, I, who, I don't – he hasn't had – he's not had a lot of success anywhere. He had a pretty good team in San Jose and couldn't get him over the over the hump. Um, didn't have much to work with in Edmonton, and that was a mess. L.A. is a is a debacle all of its own right now. They've got brighter days ahead, but I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what I would. Here's my thing with <laughs> here's my thing with it, and it's and it not only for coaches but the Edmonton argument in general, and that is absolutely. It takes more than just one superstar. We're past we're past the seventies and eighties where Wayne Gretzky alone can can win you Stanley Cups. Okay, it is what that's just fact. I I understand that. I get it. I see it. I accept it. My only argument here is Connor McDavid. If he hasn't already, will surpass Crosby, and will go down in the next two or three years, let alone in the next 15 years of his 20-year NHL career, as the greatest, if not one of the greatest players ever. Yep. Okay, I fully admit that. My problem is to say, to say that Connor McDavid is the driving horse behind your team. Win or lose, he's, he's 100-point seasons, he's heart trophies, he's this and that. But then you still can't make the playoffs and you still can't get the job done. Then stop hyping the guy that much. Admit, talk, talk about it the way it, it way, the way it's supposed to be that he needs guys with him. Don't build McDavid up to this thing, and then when Edmonton, the franchise and the team doesn't match that, you you get my point. Yes. And so in regards to coaches, it's the same argument. I struggle with the. I agree McClellan had didn't have much to work with outside of McDavid and Edmonton. However, he had McDavid. So in in that and I'm and I'm saying that based on the argument that so many of the other hockey experts say all the time. Well you have McDavid, well you have McKinnon, well you have Kucherov, well you have Bergeron, well you have this guy. And they they put so much pressure and so much time and energy and hype on this one guy that they refuse to see anything else. So my statement with it is McClellan didn't have much to work with in Edmonton. You and I see that. We objectively accept it. I get no skin in the Edmonton game. We we, we objectively accept it. Yep. My argument is, but he had McDavid. If we're, if we're going on, if we're going on that, if we're, and, and that's my, and that's more of a rhetorical argument just to prove kind of the ridiculousness of it. Yeah. But I'm just yeah. saying, I, right? He, I, he he had McDavid. He had McDavid, Brad. Come on. What, what do you want from him? He had McDavid. And that's the ridiculousness of that argument, right? It so. is. Uh, it's dumb. And and it's short-sighted. That, that goes back to not just Pete Shirelli. That goes right to Daryl Cates and what he did with that franchise in the last 15 years shameful can't stand it but it's his he can burn it down if he wants to but now he's got a chance to make it right with the fans so i hope he does but i would i would blame i would blame the mediocrity in san jose more on todd mcclellan than the failures in edmonton and i would you know san jose it's hard to call them mediocre because they were they were conference finalists a couple times so he had he had a good run. He's just a he's a bubble guy to me. I don't know what Todd can do. He'll probably always have a job. He may be better off as an assistant coach. I don't know. Yep. Kind of uh, hard to tell with some guys like that. Been around a long time. How do you not know? Yep. But you don't know. Yep. Dean Evison in Minnesota. You know, it, he's too new. He's to really two, have twelve a, games into his from the numbers here into his first season ever as a head coach. Yeah, so they, he's. Dean Evison, this is a weird deal. Dean Evison was a teammate of Q in Hartford. He was a teammate in that Hartford team of Kevin Deneen and uh, Dale Hunter and Randy Cunnyworth 
and a whole bunch of guys that went on to great coaching careers, stellar Hall of Fame caliber careers. He's probably picked up a lot of that along the way, and he's got a lot of experience. But it's his first go, and that's a very mediocre roster there on its best day in Minnesota. I will say that since he took over, that whether it's the dead cat bounce or whether it's him really turning the culture around there that quickly with Suter and Parisi, uh, they played a different brand of game. The last two or three weeks under Dean Evison, they played. They looked like a very different team. So I'd say, I'd say who knows about him at twelve games in, but the early returns were real good. He's going to have some issues though, because it's like anything, like a number of the other teams. You know, he's got Minnesota twelve games into his first go as an NHL coach. He's got them eight and four, and kind of like Chicago, he's got them eight points, six points out of a playoff spot at the time of season suspension. However, like we've talked about with Minnesota before, they're, they've got some they've got some issues. They've already traded Zucker. Yep. Stahl is on the decline. Eric Stahl. Zuccarello is great, but he's, he's the same way. Parisi's yeah. on the other side of 35 or whatever. And, and Suter. And everything like that. So they, they're... they're They've got to be careful that they don't paper over a ba- uh, a rebuild. Yeah, and there, and there, there's no. I would not. I wouldn't even consider Minnesota in a rebuild because they don't have a pipeline yet. Colorado papered over their rebuild process and it extended that that ten year stretch mm-hmm. much longer than they needed to because even Greg Sherman and then even the early part, oh, man, even the even the early part of Sackick before Sackick turned things around, right. Even Sackick started papering over things with, and I love Jerome McGinley, but papering over things with Jerome McGinley and Francois Beauchemin and and a number of different draft picks and trades and moving Ryan O'Reilly and doing this and that and letting Stasny go for free and all these things, and you're as a to try and paper over the issues in hopes that they'll just go away okay. and. I fear, I fear for Minnesota that they're kind of going down the same path right now. You bring in Bill Guerin, you hire Dean Evason, you're eight and four. All of a sudden, ooh, okay, maybe. And yet next year or the year after, you may be looking at it going, crap, we just, we just extended our misery here for two more years because we refuse to see the writing on the wall and just rip the Band-Aid off. Right. So it's, it's like you and I have talked about several times. If you're going to suck, suck. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be bad and rebuild, rebuild the way Toronto rebuilt. Re- don't rebuild the way Edmonton tried to rebuild. Just absolutely suck. You can't do it in the middle of the round. Yep. I mean, you got to pull miracles in the second, third, fourth rounds if you don't get the top picks. And when you look at the top teams in the league, every single one of them has a game breaker. They've got a top five, a lottery pick guy that is a... That's in that Eichel, Matthews, McDavid, Crosby kind of category, McKinnon. That Minnesota doesn't have. And Correct. it's all respect to Zach Parise, a guy like Zach Parise, who I love Zach Parise the way he plays, but yeah. he's not a game breaker. No. He's not He's not that way. So anyways, well, let's keep things moving here real quick. Uh, Claude Julien, Montreal. You know, he, he's in a tough spot. Uh, Julien is a, um, he's a terrific coach. The players love him. But he, he, again, they have no, they don't have a top line. They not only don't have a top-line center, they don't have any... They've got three second lines there. John Hines in Nashville. They were really eager to get him, and I don't fully understand that because he's not had a measure of success. I I wouldn't... I don't understand that higher. Is that that eagerness to get him, though, do you think maybe because of a lack of other options at the time? Because you're not going to right, wrong, or indifferent, and this is a whole other conversation for a whole other day. And quite frankly, it's a conversation we've already had, but I'll mention it. Because you clearly, for a number of reasons, weren't going to hire Bill Peters. And you clearly weren't, you know, type of thing because of the issues there. Mm-hmm. Jim Montgomery was in going to, to AA and mm-hmm. in rehab, so he's not an option. And for a team that that quite frankly is with the addition of Matt Duchesne has been hyped as a contender. What other NHL experienced guy are you going to be able to bring in at the time that they, they fired Laviolette? That's, that's more of a research thing to make sure we have our ducks in a row, but it's a, but it's a question 
to at least ponder in regards to why they were eager to hire John Hines. Because at least, because the way I see it is, they go, well, John Hines was just fired in New Jersey, and he's at least got some, he's at least got NHL experience, right? And we're in the middle of a season, and we need a guy who can step into the room and hit the ground running. That's the way, that's the way I view the, view the the Heinz hiring, at least in the, in the vein of what you just at, what you just said about not understanding it. Yeah, I I guess so. I, it was just, he was so mediocre and like, I I just don't, I mean, you, you hitch your wagon to a star. If somebody like Sheldon Keefe comes out of your system, you know him, you've, you've watched him, you've groomed him for crying out loud. And he knows the players. He's, he knows the entire roster. In John Hines' case, I just don't get it. Maybe that's and an I mean, maybe that's an indictment of Na- the Nashville organization in general, of not only player wise but also coach wise not having much of a pipeline. Because well, Na- Na- yeah. and with respect, and we're on coaches and and everything, so I don't want to get too off topic. This is all I'll say, but Nashville, as far as I know, doesn't have much of a pipeline. No, they don't. So, uh, based on their roster, they are built for now. Well, they've mo- they've mortgaged Duchesne, a lot. Duchesne is getting re- is getting ready to hit thirty. Yep. You know, their entire Johansson's J- Johansson's getting there. Their entire defense is on the other side of thirty, and so they're built for do it now, because when when we fall off, we're falling off. Right. So, and and so based on that. Maybe they didn't have much of a pipeline, and that's that's why I say what I said about the hiring of Hines. Maybe they're in the middle of a season where we need now, we need a guy experienced now because right. we don't have any other options. We don't have a, a Jared Bednar the way Colorado did, right? We don't have that option where somebody else lets us talk to their guy. We got to bring somebody in, and we don't have it. So Hines is the experienced guy that's out there. I, I don't know what else it could have been. I don't so. either. It, it would look like a desperation move. Dave Poyle doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He's a great guy and he's got a great body of work in Nashville for a really, really long time. You gotta salute him. But And Hines has him sixteen, eleven and one since he came in. They've been better. But, but they you can only you can only keep mortgaging for so long. You can only you can only take out that equity loan to to win now for so long and and pick a team, throw a dart at the NHL, whether it's San Jose or who knows? But the once you have traded away a lot of first round picks, you've traded away some prospects to try to get somebody in the in the lineup right now to win. It, it, it catches up. It might catch up in a year or two. It might catch up in five. But the, when the bill comes due, it gets really ugly. Yeah. Elaine Nazradine in New Jersey, totally unproven, very very popular guy, career minor leaguer, very popular through the East Coast and the AHL. Um, too early to tell on him. It doesn't sound like he's even getting much of a vote of confidence because they're shopping that job publicly. So uh, he'll probably he'll get a job someplace. If he doesn't stick there, he'll stay. He'll get a job somewhere because he's too popular with the players and too sharp of a guy. Very marginal as a player, which usually translates into a pretty good coach. Yeah. Barry Trotz near, on yeah, the island, but beyond reproach. Absolutely um, easy. Easy answer there. David Quinn in New York. I put him in the to be determined category. Don't know yet. I do like the fact that he has gotten a lot out of Panarin and he's, he's made a superstar out of uh, Zabinijad. He, they've traded away Brady Shea and they're still playing a pretty solid game. He is well goaltended, but I'd say we don't know about him yet, but boy, the early returns on him look good. DJ Smith in Ottawa. Who knows? Very, very new first season and... A lot of respect for him, though. Oh, yeah. When he left Toronto and everything, a lot of respect for the guy that, you know, totally. everything. So. Total. Uh, and, and he has... The one thing I have to like about that move is just simply when you watch Ottawa play and you know that they're outgunned by everybody in the league, the fact that they play their, they just play a scrappy, nasty game. I love it. And that goes, that's hats off to him and the, and the leadership in that room. Elaine Vigneault in Philly. You know, AV is a very, very highly respected guy. Um, They're playing well. And I would, I would put him in the category of the guys who can pick 
their job. You know, he, you, you he's kind of like Tortorella. He needs the right lineup to. Yeah, he does. He's well. They're all the, they're all the same way. I mean, guys need to be able to coach um, not their own style necessarily, but they need to be able to coach to what they have. And the good ones, like Vigneault, he did a nice job with a skill roster in Vancouver. Uh, he did a, a nice job in New York for a few years, and he's got the Flyers playing well. You have to adjust your coaching style to what you have. You cannot make rushers out of crushers. So I, I like him, and I think he's in that group of guys with Brindamore and Tockett and Trotz and Bednar and, and Tippett that they can pick their spots. He, if he loses his job, he just waits for the phone to ring. Yeah. Mike Sullivan in Pittsburgh. Great guy. Great job. Yeah. Um, again, had a couple of real good stars on that team to work with, but what he gets out of the secondary players, the, the Gensels and people like that, my gosh. And that team is, they scare the heck out of you every year. Injuries, trades, call-ups, you name it. Through four or five AHL guys in that roster, they play the same way. Love him. Bob Bugner, San Jose. You know, good luck. I I think he has had a couple of really, really rough starts. He was in Florida for a bit. Uh, players like him. He doesn't... There again, Doug Wilson hasn't made a lot of mistakes in 20 years in San Jose, but that's a roster that was built to win yesterday. So... Who knows what Bugner can do, and that's not a very, very easy test for a new guy. Yeah, uh, Craig Berube, St. Louis. Cool. You know what the players? If you ever, if there was ever a guy that that personified the old saying that the players will skate through the end boards for you, it's Chief. They will do anything for him. He's he's fantastic, and they're they're the one of the teams in the West that nobody wants to see coming. Yep, love him. Uh, John Cooper. There again, I mean, he's had a lot of talent to work with, but he's been in, he's been in Tampa a long time. And it, and one thing that I will say for John Cooper, they play, they play a fantastic game. Managing superstars is not that easy and managing them without losing your voice in the room is even harder. Like you said at the outset, and he's been there for years and he has not, he doesn't look like he's gone stale. Yep. Sheldon Keefe in Toronto. Kind of new. Uh, got a real got a real boost from the team when he took over for Babs earlier in the year, but they've kind of fallen back to mediocre again. So we'll see. He's in the he's in that to be determined category with with Ward and Bugner and Quinn and Nazreddin, Dean Evison. Uh, we'll see. It's going to take a while. Travis Green, Vancouver. Love him. Absolutely love him. Uh, there again, a guy that got that team playing their hearts out. Uh, he's got pretty good talent there. He's um, He's got some real good pieces to work with, but I would consider them to be overachievers at this point, and um, he's got them playing hard. That, and they're fundamentally very sound. That's a That's a very good fundamental team, which is one of the things you want to look for. That goes straight to the coach. Mm -hmm. Pete DeBoer, Vegas. Boy, they say he's like um, he's like Nashville there with Hines. I I don't understand the rush to get Pete DeBoer. Seems to be a good guy. Seems to be well respected. But man, oh man, I mean they had a pretty good thing going with Spud. I don't know why they let him go. Who knows what happened in the inside of that deal? But. When uh, when Gallant left, it looked like they were getting rid of getting rid of Gallant just because DeBoer was available. Yeah, and I I don't get that one. Yep. Uh, Todd it. Reardon, Washington. Well, it's a good team, but they haven't missed a thing since Trotz left, and Trotz whipped that team into extremely good shape. If you can if you can move Ovechkin out of the dash column. And make him a plus. That's that's real coaching. And uh, Trotz did that. And then when Todd Ridden took over, they they haven't missed a beat. So top of the East, and you got to love him for that. Yep. All right, let's close things out. Paul Maurice. I love Mo. 
I, I really do. I think he has coached uh, in, in Carolina, Toronto, and now Winnipeg to above the quality of the team. This year, notwithstanding, the Jets have been, they've been good. A lot of penalty trouble over the years, but I, I really like him, and I believe that the players love playing for Mo. I, if, here, here's the indication. When you're a mediocre team and you think you might be underachieving as a group, you got good leadership there like Wheeler and Shifley. If the coach's message is stale and he is difficult to be around, the players will turn on him. And even in hard times, even when that team has been in and out of the playoff race for a couple of years, the players are still fully engaged with Mo. So I, I think it bodes well for his career. And, and look at his all-time numbers. He's one of the top guys. He's, you know, a top 10 guy all time. And he's still a fairly young man. He's an excellent coach. Excellent coach. Well, we did it. <laughs> in, the top, in, the, in the in the virus season suspension season here, <laughs> we uh, got an hour-long episode done. So we, we did it. We succeeded. Um, Yay. Well, I, anything, anything else to add about coaches before we um, close things out here? I'll just say this much. And and this is, you know, you run the show here. There is nothing different. I would say nothing. The, the money's different. But coaching players, developing players, and getting players to play and play right and making it their idea, it's the same at eight years old as it is in the show. So the guys that we talked about who whose players will do anything for them and who will take it upon themselves to do it so that you don't have to beat the guy over the head to get him to play the right way, he'll he'll assume that role for you. You know, the, the Barubis and the Cassidys and the Brindamore, Tockett, Trotz, Bednar, Sullivan, Tippett, these are the guys that get them to do it in the show the guys who will get the same kind of character building out of young players it's no different in minor hockey and i think that's why our upcoming episode about minor hockey and minor hockey coaches specifically is so important because it it translates directly to these guys absolutely yep. no no gap yeah so, well um what are we looking forward to in the coming week not a whole lot um, with the suspension still su- <laughs> still standing with the the season, but um, yeah. Well, they made an announcement uh, this week about the draft. It's going to be online again. Nobody knows when or how or how they're going to set the lottery up or you know when it'll be or will the, when will the players who are drafted in this year's draft when will they be eligible to play? Would it be in the fall or would it be at the start of the next season? Whenever that is, who knows? I, I you know I'm tired of i'll tell you what i'm looking forward to i'm looking forward to this being over with well um thank you all for tuning in listeners of the driving force behind what we do we can't thank you enough for continuing to to tune in and support Uh, make sure you head to apple Podcasts and spotify subscribe rate and review uh head to facebook instagram and uh twitter uh war room the hockey podcast at war room the hockey podcast and at war hockey respectively make sure you follow you like engage with us ask questions write in leave comments um Next week will be um, our team or individual um, playoff run performances as per one of our listeners, uh, Mr. John Leahy. Um, But um, anyways, yep, engage with us right in. Um, We appreciate all the concerns and comments and questions. Um, Follow along with us on social media, and we um, we will be sure to continue the effort to put out content for you through this interesting time yeah. so uh thank you for joining in studio love it we're finally back in studio which Something is nice to do um i'm evan rauer and i will see you all throughout the hockey community cheers